I don't know if you're familiar with some of the genealogy services that are available today. Used to, you had to like go through all the records. And I remember one day I was at my grandma's house and she had these books, these collections of kind of a family history as far back as she could figure it out of where, where our great-great-grandparents had come from and what they had done and kind of what they were a part of. Now you can uh, get that done all automatically, <laughs> to some extent at least, online through things like Ancestry.com or 23andMe, some other ones. They'll tell you all these things about, as, as good as they can tell from the records, what your family history has been like, where, where your ancestors have been, what they've been a part of, right? They can, they can kind of tell you where you've been and where, you're, where you might be uh, predisposed to do, so to speak, or conditions, you know, sometimes health things tie into that as well. But as we think about in the past, not so much in Western culture today, but a lot of times when you would look at a family history, where your family is from or what your family was like would determine a lot of what your life was going to be like. You think back about apprenticeships and how if you were born to uh, a certain type of worker, say a carpenter, you were probably going to be a carpenter. Or if you were born to a king or nobility, well, you were going to be in the noble class, right? And so a lot of times our family history could tell us not just where we where people had been, where our ancestors had been, but what might happen in our lives, what our life might look like as well. And so this morning, we see that similar idea in our passage that family history says something about who Jesus would be. And we're starting this morning our look at the book of Matthew. We're in this first section of Matthew, Matthew the beginning. And so as we look at the beginning of Matthew, it tells us this list of names. We find a genealogy of Jesus and who his parents and parents and parents were all the way back to Abraham. And this list is doing something to us. It's making an announcement to us about what Jesus would be like by seeing who, his, who he descends from. We get this announcement of who this soon-to-be child would be. And so if you have a Bible, I would invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 1. We will read verses 1 through 17 together this morning. Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17. The word of the Lord says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. And Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, 
and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph. And Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadak, and Zadak the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of, to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. And so as we think about this list of names, it's important to notice a few things. One, we remember that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And so sometimes we come to genealogies in the Bible and we, we read through them and then we are done with our Bible reading for the day. But these, these genealogies are not uh, pointless. They are here for a reason. God doesn't include just filler in the Bible. He has a purpose for everything. And we see that here as we think about the structure of this genealogy and who's included and who's focused on in this genealogy. It's meant to communicate something. One commentator said it's meant to communicate the history of the people of God, their conception in Abraham, their high points in David, their low points in the deportation, the exile. And then it points to Jesus, who would then come and be the climax of that history of the people of God. And so the main point of this genealogy is this, that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is a king who will reign on the throne of David and bring the blessing of Abraham to the nations. We see those titles kind of right there at the beginning in verse 1, at the beginning of the genealogy. We see that this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. We say that word so often. Christ is not the last name of Jesus, but is a title. And we know that, but it's good to remember that, that Jesus is the Christ, or the Hebrew word for that would be the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And he is the anointed one. That's what Christ or Messiah means. He's the anointed one from God. And it's one thing that we realize when we start to think about this idea of Christ or Messiah. It's really only a word we find in the New Testament. 
when we're looking about the people anticipating the coming of Jesus throughout the Old Testament, we see that it never uses the word Messiah. It never uses the word Christ. But the people in the Old Testament still had this anticipation, this hope of one who was coming. And they generally referred to it as the anointed one. So they may not use the same word, but they're speaking of the same concept. And so as we look at the Old Testament, we see this concept of the Messiah, the anointed one coming. We see prophecies about how there was a coming servant in Isaiah who would come and bring the people back to God. We see prophecies about this servant who would speak the truth and sustain the weary with his word. We see in Isaiah 53 a famous prophecy about this servant who would come and would die. We see elsewhere where this servant would come and he would reign. And in fact, that's usually the the way this word is used. When you see anointed in the Old Testament, it's usually referring to a king. We think of King David and how he was anointed. He was the anointed one by God. And almost all of the kings are talked about that way. They're the anointed ones. And so here at the beginning of the gospel, Matthew's wanting to announce this is who Jesus is. He's saying he is the Messiah, the anointed one. He is in this kingly line, a king sent from God to rule over his people. This is who Jesus is. And so that leads us into this second title that Jesus is the son of David. The son of David. And this ties into really what our scripture reading was this morning from 2 Samuel. Because God made a promise to David. We sang this morning about the promises of God and how God is faithful to his promises. Well, God made a promise to David, if you caught it this morning, that a descendant of David would sit on the throne forever. There would be an eternal king, basically, who would come from the line of David. That's in Second Samuel, starting in verse 11. And so this son, his kingdom would be established, this son of David. And so we see that throughout the Old Testament. We see those promises worked out, and yet they're not really quite fulfilled. God made this promise, you'll have a son who will reign on this eternal throne. And then David has a son. You remember his son's name was Solomon, who was maybe one of the greatest kings ever in terms of wealth and riches and kingdom. And yet in Solomon's life, we still see that his reign was not eternal. He was not that son that was awaited because not only was his reign not eternal, but he didn't have the character, the godliness of this prophesied son of David who was coming. And so we still are awaiting and we go through the kings of Israel and even after the kingdom split, the king of the north and the king of the south, and we see none of them really fulfill this prophecy. We're still waiting throughout the pages of the Old Testament for this coming king who would come, who would reign eternal and would bring this kingdom that God had promised, this perfect reign of justice and righteousness and blessing. And so here, as we've been waiting from the time of David until now, at this point in Matthew, Matthew announces, this is it. Jesus is the son of David. He is the one 
who is the coming king who will sit on this eternal throne and bring in this kingdom of God. Matthew wants us to know that at the beginning, that this is what this book is about. This is who this child will be. He will be the king, the son of David. And so when we think about Jesus as king and an eternal king, we think about its implications for us. We understand that if Jesus is an eternal king of an eternal kingdom, and only his kingdom will last, and the other kingdoms of this world will pass away, then it means we should devote our lives right now to certain things, right? Uh, the logic of Peter and John in 1 Peter and 1 John goes like this. We should not devote ourselves to seeking things that are passing away, to things that won't last, to things that will, as Peter says, will be burned up. But if all these things will be dissolved, what kind of person should we be in terms of holiness and godliness? Peter says, if these things are passing away, then we should not focus our lives on them, but we should focus on the things that are eternal, the things that will last. And he says, those things are godliness, holiness. We see that in 2 Peter 3. We see it in 1 John chapter 1 as well. And Matthew later will put it like this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Why does he say that? He says it because Jesus' kingdom is the eternal kingdom. It's what will last forever. It's where we should be storing up our treasures, where moth and rust will not destroy and eat away and decay. We heard this morning in Sunday school about our inheritance stored up that will not decay right? It's imperishable. It has no blemish. And so Matthew is reminding us of this, that if Jesus is eternal, that that fact should lead us to care about this world and the things of this world less and care about the things that will last eternally more. And so for the non-Christian, if you're here and you're not a Christian, Today, that would mean that if Jesus is the eternal king, then we should submit to him and line our lives up with him because he will last forever. We hear about this phrase sometimes being on the right side of history. It's used in different ways. But we as Christians know what that phrase could truly mean, that Jesus will last forever. His kingdom will last forever. And so to be on the right side of history as a Christian means that we're on Jesus' side and what he says, and what he says is true and right. And so that is one application. We must submit to him, line our lives up with him. But we think about our schedules. Does it reflect that Jesus and his kingdom will last forever? Our priorities and how we spend our time, how can we invest in those things and not in the cares and pleasures of this world, which Matthew says will, will choke out the fruitfulness of our lives. You remember the parable of the soils, how the seed was planted, but it grew up. But the cares and the, the riches, the draw of the things of this world choked out the fruit that could have been. We do not want that to be us as Christians. We want to remember that these things are fleeting. They're passing. But the, the kingdom of God, his kingdom will last 
forever. It reminds us, if Jesus' kingdom is eternal, then what's happening this morning, right now, is something eternal. It's something part of something that will last forever. And so in that sense, the church is more lasting than anything else here on earth as an organization, right? Even us here who are gathered this morning, who may be seemingly few in number and insignificant to the world's eyes, this church gathering is really more significant than any political organization, than any group or club or school that we're a part of, because this organization, so to speak, this body of Christ will will live forever. It will last forever, where all these other things will not. And so it, it reminds me about the excitement there is in being part of church and coming to church. This is something that will last, that matters eternally, and is created by God and will be forever. And so if Jesus is the eternal king, it means that He has more power than any other power here on earth. And that is so important for us to remember, uh, especially in times like these, with so much turmoil, it seems like. It means that we should listen to God rather than men. It means that we should do what God says, not just because we feel rebellious, but because we are committed in living our lives to following him and his authority. And we know his authority is over all and will reign forever. So that means at times we'll be in violation of certain rules. I think of the the pastor in Canada who got arrested for having a church gathering over 10 people uh, according to their rules. But the Bible says the importance of gathering. Uh, And there are other examples as well. It means sometimes we'll be in violation of social norms or we'll just look weird to our friends. (laughs) They won't understand why are you doing that or why is this that important? Why are you focused on that? We'll stand out as strange. But that's okay. And we are confident in that because we know that our our inheritance, our, our value, our true worth lies not in the opinion of others, not in the social clout or the power we hold here on earth, but lies in the fact that we know the king who will live forever and we are a part of his kingdom. And so that encourages us, reminds us to follow his kingdom and his rule above all else. And so we see this fact that Jesus is king, that he is in this descent, this line of kings, all the kings listed here in this genealogy, and that he will reign on the throne of David. So Jesus is this Messiah, this coming king, eternal king, the son of David. But there's one more title given to Jesus, and that's the son of Abraham. Jesus is the son of David, but he is also the son of of Abraham. And so it reminds us, just like David, what were the promises given to Abraham? And if you remember, we were able this last year to study through the life of Abraham. And you remember the promises. Maybe the main promise was that God would bless Abraham 
make him a blessing and that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so here we see that promise being worked out. You remember the Old Testament again, kind of like David, we see that these promises started to see some fulfillment. We saw even Abraham's life, him being a blessing to the people around him. Those who were uh, blessing him were blessed. Those who were cursing him were cursed. We see that he was able to then through his seed, his offspring, God continued to bring this blessing so that other nations around them came to see more of what God was like. We see that especially as we get to Israel and God's command to Israel, you were supposed to be the light. People were supposed to look at you, Israel, and see this is what it means to know God, to follow God. And yet throughout the Old Testament, we also see that we never really get that fulfillment where the, the people of God, the seed of Abraham, really brings that blessing to the nations that it never really comes to fulfillment. In fact, it seems that Israel is joining along with the nations and doing what they are doing instead of standing out and showing what it means to be the people of God. But here, as we get to the beginning of Matthew, we see this announcement that this is the son of Abraham. He is the one who will bring this blessing to the nations. He is the one who brings blessing. So life in Jesus is described as blessing. That's an important reminder to us. Life in Jesus, life as a Christian, is described throughout the Bible as being blessed by God. Not necessarily as the world would describe blessing, but blessing as it is in reality. This is what it truly means to be blessed. So we think of what God says the Christian life is like. Meditation on the Word of God is blessing. Humbly responding to the face of injustice is blessing. Gathering together with the church is blessing. Right? These are the things that Jesus did in his life. And as he fully knew God and fully was God and fully displayed God to us, he showed us what that abundant life was meant to be. And so as we walk in his steps, we also experience some of this blessed life, partly now, but more fully above when we are in heaven. I think of the song, uh, we've tasted, but more deeply we'll drink above. And so this life of blessing really is as different than what the world would tell us, right? That the good life is getting what you want or listening to your heart or practicing self-love or self-care or you deserve this or your life is meant to be good. So if something good is not happening, then something must be wrong, right? That's not exactly right. There are some maybe half-truths in some of these sayings, but ultimately they're empty. They do not look to the Messiah to bring about this blessing. I think of Colossians and how Colossians says that we are filled, the fullness of our lives is in Christ, not in other things. And so in Jesus, in his kingdom, as his people, we are blessed. We get to taste that blessing. 
a blessing that knows God, that walks in his steps, that those steps lead to the cross now, but they lead to glory later, just as Jesus' life displayed to us. So this is the life of blessing that's described in the Bible. It's the life of blessing that Jesus lived and he showed us. And Jesus, as the son of Abraham, brings to his people. This is what's announced at the beginning of Matthew in this genealogy. Jesus is the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He is the Messiah. And not just for Israel or a certain group of people. There's one last thing I think we need to notice from this genealogy, and that's, you might have caught it, that Jesus will reign forever and bring blessing to his people, and that blessing is for everyone who believes. So did you notice in this genealogy there were, there were four names that stood out, and that's because they're different. There are four names that are women listed, the wives, the, the mothers of these people, and that's listed maybe for a couple reasons. One, we see that the kingdom of God is not just for men, right, but it's for women as well, everyone who will believe. But more, I think, more what Matthew is doing here is he's showing us that Jesus, the son of Abraham, the one who was prophesied, the seed who would bring the blessing to the nations. Well, here in this genealogy, we see these four women who were who were Gentiles, so to speak, who were not of the ethnic people of Israel. They were outsiders. We remember Ruth. We remember Rahab. Uh, we remember Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who's not an Israelite, right? And then also Tamar. We see that these women are reminding us that these promises of God are for everyone who believes, that Jesus came to bring this kingdom, to bring this blessing to everyone who would believe. And so this is what Matthew announces, that this is for everyone. This is for everyone. Maybe the people who were waiting for it and looking forward to it, and even for people today who, who don't know the Old Testament that well and don't know to look forward to a coming Messiah, but we, we see that this is the true king, the one who brings true blessing one who will reign forever, and that this is for everyone who will believe and follow Jesus as their king. And so this is the genealogy of Matthew. This is the beginning. And this is Jesus, the king who will bring blessing to the nations that we will read about and learn more about as we continue to look at the gospel of Matthew together. Let's pray together this morning as we close. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We're reminded of the richness of your word. That there is no jot or tittle or little marking, period, or dot of the eye that's not put there on purpose by you. That is not profitable for us. Thank you that your whole word is profitable. Even these genealogies, this list of names that remind us of the truth of what you've been doing, and who Jesus will be. I pray that we will submit to Jesus as our eternal king, that we will line our lives up with that fact, and that we will rejoice in the life of blessing that you give us in Christ, that we will draw closer to you and know you more. 
And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.